2021, a new year and a chance to turn the page and look ahead. With vaccines for the COVID-19 virus already being distributed, economists have started to think about a post-pandemic recovery. I'm Gabe Friedman, and you're listening to Down to Business. This week, my guest was Royce Mendez, Executive Director and Senior Economist at CIBC Capital Markets. There's a lot of pent-up demand for things like restaurants and movies, Mendez told me. But demand for even mundane services like seeing a doctor or a massage therapist may also come roaring back once a vaccine is fully distributed. While the pandemic's recovery has been uneven and lower-wage earners, particularly in the restaurant industry, continue to be hit, the good news, Mendez said, is that an economic recovery is already within sight. As always, the interview was edited for Clarity and Brevity. Hi, Royce. Are you there? Hey. How's it going, Gabe? Hey. Thanks so much for joining me on Down to Business. My pleasure. Cool. So I just wanted to talk to you about what's happening with the economy right now. COVID numbers kind of across Canada are really spiking to new highs and getting out of control. There's a lot of restrictions being placed on businesses and people's activities. What's this new wave of the pandemic doing to the economy? Look, the latest spike in the virus is not surprising. You know, a lot of our forecasts sort of included a slowdown in the economy, but you can see it hitting the parts of the economy that it hit last year. You know, I mean, obviously, if you look around at the hard hit restaurants in your neighborhood, or maybe the hotels that are downtown in the city near you, you can see some of the most painful parts of the spike in virus and the associated necessary shutdowns. Were there any, are there any surprises, though, in terms of areas of the economy that are doing well or that are doing poor? Well, some people have called this a K-shaped recovery. So in yeah. the months after March and April, you saw some sectors doing quite well. You know, the ones that could adapt to this new world that didn't require face-to-face -face interaction. But as you rightly point out, restaurants and, and bricks and mortar retail while they rebounded somewhat during the summer months of 2020, they, they hardly recovered all the lost ground. And, and now they're just in a world of pain again. The hope yeah. is, um, and I would argue the expectation is at, at this point, that the vaccination rollout begins to gain steam and, and we see the pace pick up and we can start to see maybe signs of growth emerge actually pretty soon. So why am I so optimistic or maybe, you know, just optimistic at a time that a lot of people are pessimistic? Well, we have really good evidence from last year. After the March and April shutdowns, we saw growth start to reemerge as early as May. And, you know, the, the virus had hadn't certainly hadn't completely faded in May in, in many parts of the country. But, you know, when you're starting for a, from a low base, even adding a few more jobs than you're losing shows up in economic growth. So, you know, as long as we can get through this short term pain, I could see growth start to reemerge um, even later in the first quarter. But when you look at the data, job losses, those are huge job losses. How long does it take us to sort of recover in terms of getting the labor participation rate back to a normal level, getting everyone back into the economy. What's that sort of recovery look like? It's going to be long and it's going to be a bumpy road. I would say, you know, it could take 12 months before we see the level of employment back to where it was maybe pre-pandemic and even longer than that to actually reach what we would call the potential of the economy. Because we know even during this time period, we have seen 
the population increase. So there are more potential workers out there. And, you know, over time, there's always productivity gain. So, you know, there is this extra growth we can capture even over and above that. Focusing on the nearer term rebound, and you mentioned some of the lower wage uh, sectors of the economy, which have been hit particularly hard. The good news is, is that that demand for those services in particular is going to rebound very quickly. If you just think about it, I mean, talk to your friends, talk mm-hmm. to your family. Are they going to be going out for dinner once they get the vaccine? Probably the answer is yes. Almost everyone I talk to is itching to go on vacation. We haven't all of a sudden decided we don't want to be involved in those sorts of services. We absolutely want to be involved. And I would argue there's actually pent up demand for those services. So we've seen the savings rate rise very significantly. Now, the government has provided generous income support. Some people who have been fortunate have been able to keep their jobs, work from home, and they haven't spent as much on you know, transit or eating out. So they've built up savings over this time period. All of that cash is going to be unleashed at some point in the economy. And the last point I'll make is that, you know, that's talking about discretionary services. So maybe, you know, some people will decide just to hold on to that savings. But what about other services? Dentist appointments, getting your teeth clean, going for your annual checkup with your doctor. I would argue a lot of people haven't been doing that. And all of a sudden, when we reopen the economy and reopen, hopefully, for good this time, Everyone is going to be trying to hit those services and get their teeth cleaned, get their annual checkup, get that massage that they've been waiting for for over a year. And that's going to spark a lot of demand. And that's why, you know, I would argue there is reason for optimism, even in these dark days of early January, um, when we look out and, and, you know, there's very few people on the street. Uh, let's keep in mind that that hopefully there are better days ahead. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, I was listening on the radio this weekend to someone who was predicting that that when restaurants do open up, we won't just be going back like, you know, once a month for date night, like couples will be going out every night of the week or people will be mad to go see live music and things like this. I, I guess we'll have to see if that happens. I mean, you did mention that the savings rate, there are these sort of positive signs along the way. I will actually mention one more thing, a piece of data that we have in hand. Um, and it's pretty recent and, and it, it, it's good news from 2020. And maybe just, you know, one of the few good news stories from 2020 was that uh-huh. the economy in the absence of surging virus cases and, and the necessary shutdowns actually rebounded, as I said, quite quickly. People did go out and do those things like going to the, you know, going out for dinner, going to a bar to grab a drink with a friend. And that was even before they were vaccinated or immunized versus the virus. This time around, I think people might even feel, will will probably feel much safer to go out and do those activities. What about though, I mean, the K-shaped recovery and the bifurcated recovery is another sign of the inequality in our economy. How like some people seem to do well and some people seem to be getting worse. And I'm wondering if this has any effect on what type of economic policies you envision taking shape in the next decade, the fact that this this financial crisis, like the one in 2008, has once again exacerbated and brought to the fore concerns about inequality? That's a great question. There's so many layers to that question. The, the first layer is COVID-19 and what it's done. And you're absolutely right. You point out that it's the burden has been unfairly borne by those in lower wage sectors and those you know that are working in grocery stores, working on the front lines in many places um, for not a lot of money. 
And job losses have kind of piled up there as well in terms of restaurants and hotels and stuff like that. Does this change the overall discussion about inequality? I would argue it's not actually you know, some of the the main sort of talking points when we uh, think about what's driven inequality over, you know, the past, over recent decades in, in, in particularly in developed market economies. However, I think as you were sort of getting at, you rightly point out that it could be a starting point for, for new discussions about solving some of these longer term issues. And, and it could be what lights the match to start the fire under uh, some policymakers. You know, we've seen particularly during uh, in Canada uh, with regards to fiscal stimulus, we've sort of broadened the safety net. So unemployment benefits, you know, typically really only went to those who had a job and were paying into the system. Um, but now we realize that we needed to support more than just those people. There were all these people in the gig economy um, that sort of weren't really didn't have that safety net and we've provided for them. And, you know, those are things that could last well into the future. And we're going to have to update our employment insurance scheme and figure out ways that, you know, during the, in the next crisis that we have, and there inevitably will be another crisis. I don't know when it will be maybe, you know, 20 years from now, it could be a year from now, but <laughs> when it comes, we are ready and the system is ready to automatically stabilize the economy and we don't have to make these ad hoc decisions. And that's always what you want. You want to take the power out of, you know, officials' hands because you want the system to just react because it can do it much faster. It can just start to react as soon as people start losing jobs or losing income. If the system is already built to react to, to, to send checks out, it'll just do it. You won't have to make new legislation. And that's really the way, you know, I would argue you, you want to run economic policy. Yeah. So you, is, am I right in hearing that you sort of see a, a, a bigger social safety net as one possible consequence? Uh, a wider social safety net. I, I don't know about more generous, but a wider one that captures the way the economy operates in, you know, the 21st century. Yeah, that's interesting. What other economic policies from this rough patch that we're in right now, like what is, how does the sort of, um, sort of contractions in the job market in December, um, possibly again in January affect interest rate forecasts and the value of the loonie and inflation and things like that? So the big question now is, what will the Bank of Canada do? Uh, we're seeing job losses again, another round of pain for the Canadian economy. Um, will they respond by cutting interest rates lower than they had previously thought they could even cut them? So the overnight interest rate in Canada, which is the policy rate, is 0.25%. Um, the Bank of Canada has had said previously that was as low as they could move it. But now they sort of have been wondering out loud whether they could move it down a little bit more. I'm not sure how much stimulus that would provide to the economy, particularly given the challenges it faces. It faces challenges from rising COVID cases and the associated shutdowns. You know, a slightly lower interest rate is not going to make a world of difference. Now, what some people believe is that maybe that slightly lower interest rate could help stem some of the recent appreciation in the Canadian dollar. I know a lot of listeners like um, when the Canadian dollar is stronger, you can, you know, order goods from the US cheaper, you can go on vacation a little bit cheaper, but it really hurts our exporters. So the Bank of Canada doesn't really love seeing 
the Canadian dollar move significantly stronger. And we have seen a material appreciation in the exchange rate. Uh, the question is, will they respond to that? You know, I would say it's really unclear at this point whether they need to, because again, the path of the economy over the next year and, and probably even longer than that is really just going to be driven um, at least, you know, when you look at it from 30,000 feet by the path of COVID-19. And, you know, these sort of changes in, in, in exchange rates or, or minor changes in interest rate aren't going to make a, uh, a huge difference in driving the economy any stronger. Yeah. So if people are wondering how long low interest rates will last, what do, does your bank have any forecast about when they're going to start to rise again? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, when we look out uh, into the future and we, we make our forecast, as I said, the economy isn't recovering to its quote unquote potential capacity until, you know, the end of 2022, early 2023. Um, so the Bank of Canada has committed to keeping the overnight policy rate, um, which, as I said, is at 0.25% currently at this effective lower bound until all of that slack is absorbed in the economy and its uh, target inflation rate is um, at uh, 2%. So where we see when we see that happening is probably around 2023. So the overnight rate will remain on hold. Now, market-based interest rates, so let's say interest rates on five-year government of Canada bonds or 10-year government of Canada bonds will rise ahead of that. Those are determined in the market, not by the central bank. And those will start to rise. And, and we've already seen them uh, rising um, from the lows seen during the depths of the pandemic last year. And they'll continue to rise. I, I, as the outlook improves, um, markets will um, see more scope for the Bank of Canada to increase that short-term rate. And, and longer-term interest rates will rise. And more money will flow out of these very safe uh, government bonds and into riskier assets like equities or uh, real estate or, or things like that. One question I always had is like, so many people are locked into mortgages that they entered into when interest rates were really low. So, I mean, if interest rates are, if you have a mortgage at 3% right now, it's not really conceivable for a lot of people that that interest rate could double to 6% and you could continue to pay that mortgage. We need to think about realistically how much higher interest rates can go. I know a lot of people want to talk about higher interest rates and and yes, uh, you know, nobody can predict the future perfectly. The reason that interest rates are so low today is for a host of structural factors, aging demographics, globalization. Uh, we talked a little bit about inequality. That's actually one of the reasons for low interest rates. Those things aren't changing overnight. So I think, you know, we should be operating, you know, cognizant that interest rates can rise and they will rise from these levels, but how high they'll go, you know, I don't think the Bank of Canada will be able to raise its overnight interest rate, that policy rate, um, much above 2% over the next 10 years. I would argue that, you know, that's sort of as high as it's going to be, it's going to be able to move it given the constraints in the economy. And if you look at the historical context, that is a very, very low interest rate still. So, uh, you know, when we're talking about rising interest rates and, and how much of a concern they should be, it has to be put in context of the with the uh, given the magnitudes that we're discussing. 
Yeah, totally. That's that's a good um, contextual and, issue. And, and, you know, I can see inflation rising in the next year. I can see it, you know, getting, you know, getting sustainably, as I said, to the, the Bank of Canada's 2% target, maybe even a little bit above it, but a little bit above it. Again, there are structural reasons. And, you know, uh, Harvard economist Larry Summers has talked about something called secular stagnation, which is that developed economies are having a lot of trouble generating, you know, any inflation. And, you know, at this point, it's really tough. For anyone who is seriously thinking about these issues to forecast, you know, Canada or the United States having sustainably even like 4% inflation. So, you know, the, the double digit rates of inflation that we saw in the 70s and 80s, I know that's in in a lot of people's minds when we start to worry about inflation. But when, when economists these days are worrying about inflation, they're worrying about, you know, two and a half to three percent, maybe three and a half percent inflation. It's a, it's a, it's a okay. completely different conversation than it was 30 or 40 years ago. That's a really good point. I just want to talk to you for a second about the events of the last week, not in Canada, but in the U.S. You know, last week we saw this really unprecedented takeover of the U.S. Capitol. There was a guy in a Viking helmet and a painted face, you know, um, storming the Capitol. And while this sort of craziness is happening, the stock markets just seem to keep going up. What's your take on that? Are they overheated? Is this sort of indicia of a, a bigger problem about the disconnect between stock markets and the economy? Geopolitical events in, you know, I would say in the past decade or few decades have actually consistently generated smaller and smaller market moves. The equity market, look, is taking a long-term view or I mean, most equity investors should be taking a long-term view of, you know, the stream of cash flows from each individual company. And, you know, the 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 events of any single day can sort of divorce themselves. Uh, um, okay. I mean, maybe just then the final question, maybe you answered this a little bit, but is the market overheated, the stock market, do you think? Is there concern about that in your quarter? Well, I would say one thing, that the market is taking a long-term uh, view of of the events, and that's why you saw uh, equity markets rebound so quickly last year. They were looking through this as a temporary bump in the road, uh, albeit maybe a huge crater in the road, but that eventually the car would get to the other side and we'd be driving smoothly. And and actually, uh, the Bank of Canada's recent outlook survey suggested that more and more people are seeing life as potentially returning to quote unquote normal after this is all said and done. And that's because of, of course, uh, the vaccines. Um, there's been incredible developments in recent months in terms of manufacturing and distributing. And, and we're starting to see more and more people being immunized. And the more people believe that things that we can put this in the past for good, the more the equity market will price in better days and more normal operations in the future. So, you know, if it's surpassing its prior peaks um, now because it's so forward looking, that's not really that surprising. Now, is it only pricing in good news at the moment? I mean, maybe you could argue that, that there are certainly still concerns that we need to have and that you know, we haven't completely erased the possibility of the vaccines not being effective against some of these new variants and, and that being an issue. Um, you know, the, the more and more people who get infected with the virus, the more likely it is for these sort of mutations. Um, these are things that maybe 
we could argue that the market is not adequately taking into account. But, you know, remember, the equity market takes in so many different people's points of views. If you are just looking at it as a, a sort of mosaic of, of different people's opinions, it probably does a pretty good job of, of pricing all these things in. Royce Mendez, CIBC economist, thank you so much for joining me on Down to Business today. Hey, Gabe, my pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to Down to Business, and thanks to the team behind this episode. Bryce Hall for music and production, Bidula Hussein for editing, and Pamela Heaven and Victoria Wells for web support. You can rate us on your podcast app and share this episode with a friend. I'm Gabe Friedman, your host, and I'll be back next week with another episode. Till then, find all your business news at financialpost.com.